Welcome to Bible class this morning, especially welcome to those here in person in our gym and those listening on KFUO AM850 in St. Louis and worldwide on KFUO.org. Just a few news and notes before we begin. Of course, this is Reformation Sunday Eve. And so we get the great joy of uh, celebrating Reformation Sunday on October 31st, next Sunday. So I know that's always a great, not only service, but a very special time here at St. Paul's. We are starting in Romans 14 today, starting at verse 1. And really, Romans 14 and 15, for that matter, are a continuation of kind of the theme that Paul has established or started going all the way back to Romans 12, which is practical advice for the Christian in their walk, in their walk in faith. So in Romans 12, you have the, the great section that Paul has where you have the marks of a true Christian. You'll love what is good, abhor or hate what is evil. You know, if your enemy's hungry, well, give him something to eat. Judgment is the Lord's, not ours. In Romans 13, we have the section on outdoing one another in love, but also uh, on the government and the respecting authorities and all of that that Pastor Thomas covered last Sunday. And so then we come to Romans 14, and the heading is a pretty accurate one. Uh, sometimes the headings are a little misleading, but here it really does uh, speak to the theme that Paul has throughout this entire chapter. And again, going even into chapter 15, do not pass judgments on one another. And Romans 14 addresses conflict, uh, ongoing conflict in the church in Rome related specifically to uh, matters of Old Testament law and their application to the Christian life. And so we'll see that and we'll talk more about that, but it begins in verse one, 14, verse one, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, who not, but do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. There you have it. God's word says vegetarians are weak. <laughs> no, of course, that's not the, <laughs> that is not the intent of what Paul is saying at all. And it doesn't speak to veganism either before we even go there. But to begin with that idea of welcoming him in, in the Greek, it's proslumbano is the root word. And it's to receive one, to receive one to oneself, to welcome someone into kind of your inner circle, into your family, into your home. Receive one, but do not quarrel over opinions. As I said at the start, there were quarrels, fights, us. Uh, Tussles, specifically here mentioning over two things. What's permissible to eat? And how do we regard, I guess you could say, the old Jewish holy days? And so for the first one, Paul says immediately, one person believes he may eat or is free, quite literally, is free to eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgments on the one who eats. Paul isn't speaking for or against any side at this point. In fact, both sides, he points out the faults or the flaws with how they were approaching this disagreement. The ones who believed that they were free to eat whatever they want, looked down upon or had disdain or despise those who Paul refers to as weak. And those uh, who were weak were passing judgment on those who were eating the things that they thought were not permissible to eat. And this, you have to imagine, is a much deeper thing than we can probably picture in our lives. Because I don't know how you grew up, but I never grew up for, you know, 20 plus years believing one particular food was sinful 
to eat. And yet, of course, for those uh, Jewish Christians, they had lived their entire adult life under the kosher rules. They didn't have bacon. They didn't have fork. They kept to that, and it was really a part of their identity. And so it's hard for us to understand why this was such a hang-up for them. But when we think about the things that are deeply rooted in our life, maybe it's the love of the Cardinals. Maybe it's, you know, uh, a favorite uh, music or musical piece or song. If all of a sudden we were told to think differently about that item that we had been so diligent to follow or diligent to be um, careful around, to care about, it would be a pretty... Uh, life-altering sort of change in the way we thought. You know, it, if Paul were to walk into this room and say, you know, the strong are those who are Cubs fans, there'd be some of us that instinctually would just groan immediately, right? And so you got to kind of think of it from that perspective, whatever, whatever that might be for you, but those things that you hold dear, deeply held traditions or even things you deeply enjoy and have enjoyed for your life, the big conflict here is, well, I'm being told that's no longer necessary. For God has welcomed him. That this kind of frames the whole theme here that Paul is bringing out, which is this is God's family. It's not our family to decide. And it's not necessarily our family to try and um, act out in a specific way, whether that's the judgment or the freedom. Paul speaks against both those who are judging here, those who would be the Jewish Christians, or that's the assumption many commentators make because there were dietary restrictions on uh, Jewish people based on the Old Testament law. Uh, he, Paul criticizes them, but he so too criticizes those who then will boast in their freedom. And we'll get to that in just a minute. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. Now, it's a really interesting, I guess, rhetorical usage of a servant's life. We often talk about what it means to be servants of Christ, servants um, of the gospel. And here, Paul uses it to point out that that brother Christian, that sister Christian that you may disagree with about what's permissible to eat in this specific situation, you are not their master. You are not their boss. You are not the one to tell them one way or another. God is their master. They are his servant, not our own. And I think that's a really uh, important way to remember when we have disagreements with fellow Christians, where is our ultimate rule? Where is our ultimate rule and norm? And as Paul says, it is before his own master that he stands and falls not before the judgment of a fellow man. And he knows what Paul does right away. He says, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Both the one who is strong and the one who is weak in this case, the one who believes all things are permissible to eat and the one who is wanting to maintain um, certain dietary customs, both of them will be made to stand by God. Not because they had bacon or did not have bacon. Not because they enjoyed a pork chop or did not enjoy, enjoy a pork chop. 
but the Lord is the one who makes them stand. And this highlights kind of the, the crux of what Paul is doing here, which is taking us away from a tyranny of the law, but so too taking us away from sort of a tyranny of freedom, anything goes sort of approach and putting the focus back where it belongs. And that's on the work of God through his son, Jesus Christ. And then in verse five, we get kind of the next or the second of the two main issues that Paul directly addresses. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day, observe it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in the honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. You know, there's a couple things here. One is both are fully convinced. They're not coming to an agreement. There's not a have a compromise here and you guys walk away with the same mindset, which is so often how we uh, approach some of these conflicts. If it's, you know, the choices between A or B, you can't say AB in the, you know, in the middle. Paul is making it clear. It's not about finding a compromise. It's not about saying, well, I guess bacon's okay on Fridays. It's not about, well, this high holy day is okay, but let's forget these other ones and we'll come to an agreement. But rather, even in the midst of disagreements, where is the motivation for the action? If you look in verse six, where's the motivation for the action? In the honor of the Lord. Why do what you do? Whether it's eating, observing holy days, abstaining from certain foods, do it in honor of the Lord and give thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Paul makes it very clear here. It is not about determining one's own rightness in this disagreement. It is not about being the one who is correct, but it's about living your life in honor of God and giving him thanks for what he's done for you. And obviously today we don't have uh, nearly as many disagreements, at least I hope not, amongst what's permissible to eat or not permissible to eat. But are there certain irreconcilable differences that Christians have with one another? Are there certain cultural norms even that some Christians would abstain from and other Christians promote? Yeah. Uh, and in an 18 month span where there's been a lot of judgment, a lot of pandering to one's own rightness and surrounding oneself with the information to prove that they, you are right about a particular aspect of this pandemic and the other side's wrong. It's a great reminder that it's not about being right. Uh, and that's hard for me personally, because I like being right. <laughs> I don't enjoy living in that gray. You want to be able to say it should be this way and it's that way. End of story. And yet Paul reminds us, you know, if you want to use a 21st century example, the one who 
wears a mask, wear a mask for the honor of the Lord. The one who doesn't wear a mask, don't wear a mask for the honor of the Lord. And don't concern yourself with whether or not you're right and the other person's wrong, but rather whatever you do, live your life to the glory and honor of God. Uh, and that's something that, if you think about our world today, is clearly lacking. And even in cases, uh, sometimes Christendom in the church. Uh, and so it's a, a fantastic reminder because it takes the conflict out of determining a right and a wrong and reminds us of what the true motivation for doing anything should be. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the living and of the dead. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Paul's questions here kind of hit at the heart of the matter. Why are you attacking your brother? Whether you're upset because you think he's weak or whether you're judging him because you think he's being sinful, why are you attacking your brother? And if you notice those two uh, verbs there, past judgment and then the despising, he connect, that's connected directly back to verse 3, where uh, he said, the, let, the one who eats, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. And I wonder what our own answers to be, or to that question would be, if you were to ask us at times of disagreement, why are you attacking your brother? Why are you attacking your brother or sister in Christ? I would say it probably averages somewhere between 99 and 99.5% of the time that the answer will be some sort of selfishness or some sort of self-righteousness that we think we possess. And, and that's really what Paul is addressing here, is that you may do one thing, and you may have a clear conscience in doing it, but if that conscience of another person is affected, be careful about how you go about doing that thing. And certainly, if he disagrees with you or has a different perspective on a particular thing, do not attack him. Do not attack him because you're not his master. He is a servant only to the Lord. He's not a servant that you get to boss around. It doesn't matter how long you've been in church, how long you've been at a particular church, how faithful you've been, how unfaithful you've been. You're not the final judge. And of course, that goes completely contrary to what we see in our everyday life and culture today. Because <laughs> everyone wants to be that judge on everyone else. Everyone wants the opportunity to say, look how much that person is wrong. I mean, we've got entire social media platforms almost based on that. And so Paul's words are a tremendous reminder to us and a tremendous reminder to that church in the first century. Really, the problems haven't been all that different. <laughs> In 2000 years. Verse 11, for it stands written, or for it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. And that quotation there is from the book of Isaiah, chapter uh, 45, and Paul uses it to highlight 
the position God has as creator, as almighty, as omnipotent, and as judge. And that each of us will have to give an account of himself to God. And that's a, a Greek idiom, which the translation does a, a pretty decent job of translating. But the quite literal or wooden translation is every person will have to give a word for himself to God. And that may, it reminded me of at least our own English idiom of kind of when you get in trouble as a kid and your parents says to you, what do you have to say for yourself? It's a little bit of the same idea that each one of us will have to answer that question. What do you have to say for yourself? And of course, the answer for us is, well, we can't say much, can we? That without Christ, we don't have that ability to stand before the judge, the creator of the world and say anything at all. And yet remember verse four, he will be upheld. The Lord is able to make him stand. And really here in the first 12 verses, Paul is directly beating back any sort of notion that one side's going to claim superiority over the other. He hasn't even necessarily addressed how they're to interact with one another with this difference. But before, you know, you get to the, the pragmatics of what then should we do, you have to address the problem with the heart that's presenting itself through these issues. That self-righteous nature that wants to judge or that standoffish nature that wants to perhaps despise or have disdain on the basis of a disagreement over food. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great, great question. So the question was raised when I say attacking, and uh, I agree attacking is a strong word, but I'll explain in just a minute why I think that is what's being done here. Is the attacks or are the uh, critiques of those on the other side, are they ad hominem attacks on their character, on their person, or are they just simply attacks on their belief? And I would say the answer, uh, I believe, is yes. Yes and yes. <laughs> that it was crossing over just from saying, I disagree with you on this, to say you are not worthy because you hold this, uh, you are not worthy to be either a part of this church or you're not worthy for salvation in Christ. And really, as we'll get to the back half of this chapter, that's where the, the central difference comes from when we're talking about matters of adiaphora, that when it is not permitted nor forbidden, uh, not commanded, sorry, nor forbidden, it is not a matter of salvation one way or the other. Uh, because what Paul is not saying here is have no judgment in your life whatsoever. The issue is not someone is denying Jesus. Paul would have a very different reaction to that. But when it comes to things that are the adiaphora, the things that the Bible doesn't speak directly to, either forbidding or commanding us to do, do not turn it into a matter of salvation. And that's what they seem to have been doing. And part of the reason why I think attack is proper is, is the Greek words for passing judgment and for despising are both very, very, for passing judgment, it's just to be a judge or to judge a crino or, and then for the disdain, it's actually to look at one and hold that they're insignificant because of their beliefs or to hold them in, in low regard, to have very low regard or look down on someone and see them of little significance. So it's a little bit stronger than just to say, I uh, despise their position. I think they were unable to separate the positions they held or that their beliefs about, in this case, food and the, the holy days from the individual um, himself, which is why Paul continually goes back to uh, that person lives to God not to us. Yes. Was there another question? Yes. 
Yes. Yes. And in fact, we're going to get a little bit to that. I'm trying to see where, which in verse 15. So we're going to get to that in just a minute. But Paul goes right there that part of being a servant means you belong to God. Yes. And if you're a servant to God, uh, servant or slave, it's the same word. There wasn't really too much of it in Greek culture. Uh, and again, we've talked about this before, you know, that's, it, it was a very different understanding of slavery than what we have from an American perspective. But when you think of it from those terms that as a servant or as a, a slave, one is the property of God. One belongs to God. If we are to attack that person, we are attacking God. And Paul's going to go there a little bit later on in verse 15, but that's uh, absolutely right. All right. Yes. Told me about God. Yeah. It, yes. Yes. You're going to have to speak for yourself and your actions. So the comment was made that it's very similar to the idea of, you know, you without sin cast the first stone because Paul is pointing out that all of us are going to have to give an account for our sins, lest we think that our brother's sin of eating or our brother's sin of, of not eating is the end all be all. Let's not forget our own sin. And, you know, we talked about that when we did the Luke study on what it means that the planks in your eye, right? Is that you remember all those planks. It's not that the speck doesn't get removed from your brother's eye, but that you don't forget that you are the one who had those planks first and foremost. And it also points back, uh, bud to Romans 12, those true marks of a Christian in verse, uh, Romans 12, verse 19, Paul says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God for it is written. Vengeance is mine. I will repay says the Lord to the contrary. If your enemy is hungry, feed him thirsty, give him something to drink, drink for by doing so you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil but overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I guess Paul could probably summarize that for, you know, verse 14, it had been a nice one verse chapter, but there is a, an aspect to that where, like you said, this is not necessary. When it comes to these sort of matters, when two people are fully convinced and it is not written of in scripture, we are not the ones to then cast that stone or cast that judgment. All right. Any other questions I sh should say before we, or comments before we go on to um, verse 13? All right. Therefore, let us not, not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. Well, there's a couple of things with this verse that I, I think are important to note. The first is that word decide it's the same word for past judgment. It's that same word to judge. And I'm not sure what the thought was in not translating it as such, but it's perhaps because you'd have to kind of do some wordsmithing with it. You know, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather judge in this manner or judge like this or judge in this way. Never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. That word stumbling block, it's interesting. There is not in the other uses of it in Romans, it's the verb for stumble and then lithos or lithos for rock or stone, stumbling stone. Here, it's just to stumble. So stumbling blocks fine. It's not like there's a big difference, but he's really speaking more 
to just the, the nature of stumbling. Do not st uh, cause your brother or judge in this way. Judge to see if you are ever causing a brother to stumble or be offended or have an offense in, the, in his way. And that's something that we all can, at times, <laughs> do a good job of taking kind of stock in in our own lives. Are we conducting ourselves in manners that allows perhaps not ourselves, but our brother or sister who sits next to us, our brother or sister in Christ, to stumble, to be offended? Uh, this is a really prominent thing if you think about entertainment. What sort of TV shows are permissible to watch for a Christian? We pulled this room. There'd probably be different standards or different lines that people draw at different places. And we have freedom in Christ to draw those lines. But what Paul is saying is, and we'll just use the example of TV shows, don't pass judgment on another because he watches a certain show or because he refuses to watch a certain show. Check to make sure that you're not going out of your way, therefore, to bring that up. So if you know someone doesn't, for example, watch R-rated movies, don't invite them to R-rated movies. <laughs> or if you know that someone uh, has an issue with uh, a particular, like I said, TV show, don't talk to them about that particular TV show. Don't cause that stumble. Don't cause that offense, that tripping up to occur. Yes. Well, and that's where I would say, again, this is in matters where they're not commanded nor forbidden by scripture. So when you think of it from that matter, and he's going to talk about that a little bit, and he even gives his opinion, and we can actually, it's a perfect segue, Stephen, to the next uh, very couple of verses. I know that I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. You notice what he just did there. He is saying that for Tom over here, that pork is not unclean. And yet for Joe next to him, who looks at that pork as unclean, it is unclean. Now, is that to say Paul's saying we just have this total relativism? No. But again, these are not the fundamental matters of our faith. These are not the things, this is not the Ten Commandments, this is not are there other gods? No, it is the adiaph or the things not commanded nor forbidden by God. And in those cases, both are correct. Paul says, I'm persuaded that nothing's unclean, but for the one who thinks it unclean, it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. And Paul, this is what gets at what you spoke of earlier with a doulos or servant or slave, that uh, as those who belong to Christ, do not forget that your brother next to you is one for whom Jesus died. They're not one who refuses to eat or, you know, happens to eat a particular thing. They're not one who happens to celebrate particular days or does not happen to celebrate particular days, but rather first and foremost, the foundation of how we view our brothers and sisters in Christ is that they are those for whom Christ died. So how does that then change our perspective perhaps in how we approach our brother or sister in Christ? 
how does that perhaps change the reaction or the, even the conduct by which we'll go about interacting with them in their life, even when they're perhaps wrong. Paul would say all foods are clean, but really, I think acutely Paul addresses here something that is very hard for us to truly grasp, which is, but it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what my brother in Christ thinks. And again, as we talked about, Steve, this is not on the, the foundational aspects of the faith. This is not on the Apostles' Creed. This is not on the Nicene Creed, but this is in the Adiaphora. And so when it comes to Adiaphora, in some ways, it's not about what we think. It's not even about what we prefer. It's what our brother thinks, or sometimes even what our brother prefers. And that can be different than what we'd like to see happen, you know, and this is, this manifests itself in a number of ways <laughs> throughout uh, history. But I think particularly in the last 10 years, when you think about some of the fights or disagreements that have happened because one church worships with different musical instruments than another, or perhaps because one church, you know, may still be online versus in person. Or perhaps one church did something in this way and we went and did it in another way. And all of a sudden, these things that really should have uh, no bearing on our standing in Christ, no bearing on whose we are, as uh, no bearing on the reality that we are those whom Christ died for, have become major scandals or major offenses to the Christian church. And in fact, that word, a hindrance there or offense, it's scandalon in Greek, which is where we get the word scandal. And so, you know, you have this kind of self-reflection that has to occur. Where are we at times drawing the lines at inappropriate places? And you notice Paul doesn't say that you then have to change your way to match your brothers, but rather when it affects your brother, consider that. So if you think about something like worship style, for instance, do we need to change our worship style? No, but should we necessarily go and ridicule another church because perhaps their sanctuary looks a little different or this service or that service looks a little bit different? No. And that's really the, the, the heart of what Paul's trying to get at. When it comes to the adiaphora, stop hurting one another. Stop attacking one another. Stop being a scandal or causing scandal or stumbling to occur with one another. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy, do not bring to ruin the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. What is it to your brother? That word spoken of as evil, there's blasphemy. Do not let good things be regarded as blasphemy because of how you are causing it to offend your brother. You know, there are all sorts of things that we can disagree about. And some of them, I'm sure I have different opinions than some of you on particular things, like who the best fans in baseball are. Yeah. But 
we should never let any of those things, any of that adiacra, any of those things that don't truly matter, hurt our brother, our sister in Christ. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness and of peace and of joy in the Holy Spirit. And it's going to sound like beating the drum, but again, where is that peace, that righteousness, and that joy found in? Is it in us being right? No. But in the Holy Spirit, in God. And whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. Paul, you brought up the servant earlier. And one of the things that, you know, I, I kind of thought about when I was reading through this and looking at it, and as you talked about, a servant belongs to another. One thing a servant doesn't do is give his opinion to his master, unless he asks for it, right? <laughs> a servant doesn't say to his master, no, no, don't go with the chicken. Go with this instead. That person becomes an ex-servant very quickly. <laughs> And not in a positive way. You know, in some ways, that's how we ought to remember our own place as those who are not only slaves to God, but servants of one another. You know, if your brother asks you your opinion, sure, give it to him. But we are not here. We don't exist in order to bestow our opinions on everybody else. Because that doesn't happen in our world, does it? I mean, you can't hardly watch, I don't think, probably a single channel without someone literally proclaiming that my opinion should be everyone's opinion. Entire hours of sports talk and news and everything, even the weather, can get turned into this sort of thing of, I want to be right and let me tell you why I'm right and you're wrong. Yeah, but... Oh. Mm-hmm. So the, the combo was made that verse 16, which says, do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil, seems to be perhaps counterintuitive or counteracting some of the words that he has said thus far in Romans 14. And uh, I would say to that, that he is more saying, don't let your eating, though you are permitted to do so, don't let your eating then be something that your brother can speak evil about. In the same way, also, don't let your abstaining from eating be something that your brother uh, can speak evil about. I, I think a good way to kind of frame it, and maybe it's even a better way, TV shows or, or movies or what's appropriate entertainment is thinking about, um, do we have the freedom as uh, Christians and as those who are over the age of 21 to enjoy a beer? Yes. But if that beer causes offense to the person who's sitting next to me, is it a good idea to do that? No. And, and of course, that's something that in the church is actually fairly common as far as different denominational uh, beliefs on that, and especially here in the United States and some of our southern states. But Paul's saying, don't let that ruin, destroy the work of God. And if you think about the scale of it, how silly would that be? How tragic would that be? That something that insignificant would ruin or bring to destruction one for whom Christ died for. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. 
Yes. It, it, I mean, that highlights exactly kind of what Paul's talking about. So the comment was made that throughout you know, your years, you've seen Adi offer cause tensions to the point at which people don't just leave in disagreements, but leave the church and leave the church for years on end. Yeah. It, it, how silly, you know, you, you think about it. If we place anything up against the salvation we have in Christ as those whom Christ died for, it, it pales in comparison, especially when we're talking about Adi offer that these things that are not commanded or forbidden do not allow them to be that scandal to your brother because there are real implications. You know, if it, if the reality was that, well, give him a day or two, he'd get over it. Um, we may be having a different conversation about this, but that's not the reality is that some of those things can cause deep seated hurt and, and bring to ruin the faith life, the, the life, uh, in Christ that some people, uh, have abandoned because of these sort of disagreements or these sort of arguments. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A loving word could have prevented so much of that hurt or thinking not of ourselves, but thinking of that other person first. And that's really what Paul's kind of speaking to. Don't, don't for, you know, for the sake of something trivial, ruin your brother's faith. All right. Verse let's yes. Yes. So adiaphora is those things that are, it's neither command. It means it's neither commanded nor forbidden. So murder is not adiaphora because there's a commandment that speaks to it pretty directly. Having other gods is not adiaphora because again, there's something that's said to it very directly, you know, loving your neighbor as yourself, again, not adiaphora, but Something like, yeah, the clothes you're wearing. Exactly. Yeah. Jesus doesn't say, and thou shalt bring a three-piece suit to church every Sunday. Is there anything wrong with that? No. But again, is that commit commanded? No. Yes. Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yes. That's in Galatians where he talked about that, that the comma was made that in a very similar manner to eating and drinking, Paul talks about circumcision that in diff two different instances, depending on the circumstances, for one person, he commanded, go get circumcised. For another, he said, you don't need to. It's not that Paul's contradicting himself, but he is instead allowing the, the conscience of the brother to supersede even your own particular desire on matters of Adiaphora. In the Old Testament, well, so was this Le the Levitical dietary law. And that is where Again, Acts is very helpful when Peter talks about why did Jesus declare all things clean and why is there this difference? After all, one, I think it's, oh, I'd have, don't quote me on this, but uh, well, it's only on the radio, so no one's going to hear. But 15 times, I think it is, uh, Jesus is asking the Gospels. I think it's, it may be more. What you're doing, is it lawful? Because it goes against the Old Testament law. Picking grain on the, the Sabbath, healing on the Sabbath, not following proper washing rituals before eating and, and each time they ask, well, wait a minute, you're breaking this old Testament law. Uh, yes. It was a comment. Yeah. It's a, yeah, exactly. Paul. So the comment was made that, uh, it seems to be that in the, the biblical definition of servanthood includes furthering the kingdom of God and that we allow these things to get in the way of that. And these things seem so trivial in, in comparison. And that's exactly kind of what Paul's trying to say. And he even says in verse 19, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and for the mutual upbuilding. 
Consequently, or as a result of this, as a result of remembering these things I've said, let us pursue, let us go after that which makes peace for the mutual upbuilding. Not just your own edification. If you think back on a daily basis, how often we do something for self-edification, it's kind of embarrassing, right? And here Paul reminds us that we should be about those things that bring peace and mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food, do not for the sake of food, destroy or tear down the work of God. And I, I actually would, if I was the one making the choices on the verse divisions, probably keep verse 19 through that because those two concepts are intrinsically linked. That the upbuilding is contrasted by the tearing down or bringing to ruin or destruct in verse 20. And so he kind of puts it to him this way. You guys have maybe some soul searching to do, a, a choice to make here. Are you going to be about destroying the work of God or mutually building up? Uh, you notice that the choice he doesn't give them is, or are you going to be about building up yourself? You either mutually build each other up as the body of believers, as the, the church, or the reality is uh, you, you're going to tear down or destroy or bring to ruin, as you mentioned, Ruth, at times, the work of God in someone's life, overeating, over if, you know, a pork or ham sandwich is acceptable. Yes. Yep. Yes. And that's where at the start, so the comment was made, didn't Paul take Peter to task for withdrawing from those who were eating in a manner not in accord with Levitical customs? And yes, he does. And you're absolutely right that eating was far more culturally, just intrinsically linked to your beliefs and your understanding and your standing in the world even. You know, you had someone come to your house for a meal, that said something about your relationship. Even what you ate in that meal, even if it was, you know, following the Levitical custom, said something about your relationship with that person. If you ran out of food at the wedding, like the wedding of Cana, the, the couple could actually, the, could go to jail. I, I mean, they could receive uh, judgment against them, or even their children could be prevented from basically holding certain places in society, all because they ran out of food. Now, we look at that and say, that's crazy. But you can't separate that from the con, you know, that is the context by which these things are being said. Eating and drinking were far, you know, greater as far as their cultural impact on someone's existence than they are today. I mean, we're all going to go somewhere after, you know, services to have lunch today, or maybe you're going to your house. I, I don't think you're really going to be spending a whole lot of time sweating out that decision. I don't know, maybe you will, but. In those days, all those sort of things actually were very meaningful, very impactful, and meant specific things in, at specific times with specific people in terms of who you were and your standing in society, but also who they were. You're absolutely right. Oh. It is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not uh, to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. You notice there, he doesn't say it's not right to do so, for it is our right as Christians. We have freedom in the gospel to do so. 
but something can be right. And yet in the very same time, in a particular context, not a good thing to do. And that really kind of highlights what he's been doing time and time again, that it, it's not a question about what is right, which of course is what they're trying to make it. You know, is it lawful? It's kind of no different than the question, you know, uh, whose coin does this belong to, God or Caesar? And Jesus responds not by saying what is right to do, but rather what is good to remember. And here Paul is doing the same thing. It may be right to eat whatever you want. All things have been declared clean by Christ, but is that good? And then your particular circumstance, I can say for us, thankfully, yes, <laughs> I think. I mean, I don't know if anyone has any moral objections to anything I might have for lunch today, but barring that, for us, we would say, yeah, we can do that in good conscience and it is good. They could not say that. They were unable to say that. And so for us, you know, we could insert any number of things there. And, and each of us probably could look at our own life and think of things that we had every right to do or have every right to do, but it may not be good that we go and do them in a particular circumstance. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. It's interesting, isn't it? But what sort of perspective that would be? Did be able to say, I'm not going to pass judgment on the things that I find pleasing. It kind of goes counterintuitive to how we're raised, how we're told to grow up. We all have favorite colors, favorite foods, favorite whatnot. But Paul is talking very directly here to when it comes to the matters of faith, the matters of our hearts, uh, don't major in the minors. Major in the majors. Christ and him crucified. And it's really a, a, the key gospel motivation by which this whole uh, section and these four chapters, 12 through 15, are truly written. You know, it starts in verse 12. Uh, Romans 12, verse 1 is, uh, therefore, you know, in view of God's mercy, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. I always think we should stop and remember that this whole section stops with in view of God's mercy. In view of God's mercy, Therefore, not because it's what you see going on in the world, not because it's what we necessarily want to do even, not because it's what we have to do, but rather in view of God's mercy, go and do this. Treat your brother in this case in chapter 14 like this. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is in sin. Here we have, and I think this was mentioned, uh, Paul, you, you mentioned this. Uh, I'd written down, the kingdom of God is lived out horizontally. What does that mean? Well, as those who are part of the kingdom, you know, our relationship with God is secure. Our faith with God is not based on how we live out our day-to-day -day life. But God's kingdom is lived out in our day-to-day -day life. God's kingdom is lived out in our interactions with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And as such, we are given the opportunity to show this sort of self-sacrificial love, uh, to show a sort of love that does not say who's right and who's wrong, but rather what's best for you or what's best for you. 
or what's best for this group over here who may feel maligned or not welcomed, or even uh, what's best for this group over here who has an unpopular opinion or is not liked by a majority. I'm not saying that's true for this group over here. It's, you know, and that's really the focus. It, it becomes so quickly about us in our day-to-day -day lives. And time and time again, you know, we have to be reminded and rightfully so, it's not about me. It's not about whether what I do is right in my mind when it comes to these matters of Adiaphora, when it comes to living out that love, it's how do we love our brothers? Now, what I will say very directly, we're almost at the end of our time here, is that it is not that there isn't judgment. It's not that all things should just be allowed and, you know, uh, we have, and that's why I said there's the tyranny of kind of the law where you're trying to add things to the gospel, but so too there could be a tyranny of freedom where you completely ignore the will of God, the answer to that is, well, go ahead and ignore it. No, God's will for us is for our benefit. And so when there are those things that are directly commanded, you don't look past them, but rather when it comes to those things that are not directly commanded nor forbidden, we allow each other to have some grace, perhaps. We think not of ourselves, but of the person next to us, the person in front of us, the person behind us. And that's really a fantastic reminder that it's not about our own convictions in matters of Adiaphora and those things not commanded nor forbidden, but rather it's the convictions of other, others that take precedent. Now, of course, the real challenge becomes when you've got a hundred people in a room, <laughs> you might have a hundred different convictions. So how do you live that out with a um, hundred different people who might feel a hundred different ways? Pray for God's grace <laughs> and his guidance, right? Uh, yes, last question, then we'll close with prayer and wrap up. Yes, absolutely. So the comment was made, this is an entire chapter. This weren't a few, just a few lines, but 23 verses he dedicates. And actually, if you go into 15, it's going to continue. So it's, it's really two whole chapters, really, on this matter. And so it is an important thing for the church. It's important. Um, and we'll continue this next week. And in, in, in verse 15, these are important reminders for our day-to-day -day Christian life, not for the sake of being saved, but as those who are saved.